This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Hallelujah. Well, this morning, uh, I want to kick off a new series. And I hope you're, you're ready for this. Um, I told, uh, I told uh, Pastor Jared yesterday that I just, you know, sometimes when you, when you write messages, you start feeling kind of what the Spirit is wanting to say. Can you imagine that that's true? Sometimes the Spirit wants to say harsh things. Can you imagine that that's true? Can you imagine that that is told to me first as a pastor, and then I have to relay that, but with those harsh things sometimes comes, I mean, a lot of emotion. And as I was talking to Pastor Jerry yesterday, I'm like, I'm, I'm almost angry. I'm almost angry. Because this message was sitting so heavy and so, such a burden on my heart. And I want you to know, angry at myself. And maybe a little bit of the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, church, wake up. Are you okay if I preach a church, wake up message this morning? Good, because I'm going to do it whether you're, whether you're ready for that or not. Um, I've been thinking a lot about athletes lately. You know, maybe it's with all the college football going on the last few weeks, and maybe it's uh, the NFL countdown to the Super Bowl. Too bad for the Patriots. <laughs> maybe it's the Summer Olympics that are going to be this August. I love watching the Summer Olympics. Um, but I've just been thinking a lot about athletes lately and what they have to do to compete at those levels. And it's really unbelievable the time in the gym that's required, the regimented diets that they have to stick to. And a typical pro athlete trains around six hours a day for six days a week. It's like that's their job, to train. And the training is intense, so intense that a typical fit individual, do we have any typically fit individuals in here this morning? What? (laughs) Raise your hand if you're typically fit. All right. I got a different message I could preach this morning. Um, (laughs) You could at least say it in faith, (laughs) right? Are you typically fit in faith? Yeah, amen, you will be, right? But a typically fit person would struggle just to make it through the workout of some of these professional athletes. And as I've been thinking about this, I couldn't help but think that Christians could take a few lessons from these athletes. See, they train to win a prize that is here today and gone tomorrow. Who won the Super Bowl last year? Don't have to answer, it's a rhetorical question. But you had to think about it. Who won the Super Bowl the year before that? Who won the World Series? Some of you know, but many of you knew when it happened, but you don't remember today. It's a prize that's here today and gone tomorrow temporary prize and they train so hard for that they train to gain fame and to be successful in what they do even though it's not eternal and how much more should we train ourselves for godliness and look what timothy the great uh, timothy's great coach the apostle paul said to him first timothy 4 7a through 8 it says 
train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. In other words, bodily exercise profits you some, but how much more important is training yourself for godliness? Because it's not only, it's not only profitable for this life, but for the life to come. And let's be real this morning, being disciplined in that training is absolutely essential. We don't usually like that word disciplined. I mean, it should be obvious, just as athletes are not able to, or, or are not able to beat their bodies into peak physical condition without discipline, the Christian will not be able to reach their full spiritual potential without discipline. Discipline is a fact of life. And no matter how you are using the word, disciplining yourself or being disciplined or practicing the disciplines of a particular subject matter, that word always takes you back to a basic meaning, a subjecting of yourself, a becoming a true follower, a training. Athletes are disciplined in their commitments to workouts and practice. Godly parents discipline their children because they love them and they want to help them reach their full potential. Scientists, lawyers, and doctors pick certain disciplines of their fields and focus their energies and narrow those specific areas so they can become better. My point is, church, that there are disciplines of the faith that we must train ourselves in, we must tirelessly practice them, not grow weary in well-doing, in training in them, and we must push ourselves in them to reach our maximum spiritual potential. They're real spiritual disciplines of the faith. In the next several weeks, I wanna go over these disciplines, some of them, uh, things that must be a part of your Christianity if you're gonna make it. You know, being a pastor is an interesting thing. Uh, I, I get to experience the unimaginable joy when people come to Christ. I get to be up close and personal with that, maybe more than most because of my, my, my calling. And I, I love that part of it. I love uh, the fact that I get to see that up close. Hearts changed, you know? It's an awesome thing to see. And that's an interesting thing of being a pastor, but it's also an interesting thing that with that, I also get to feel the heartache when people who know better, people who have been taught the things of God, just walk away from him and that's not easy to watch at all. People who have sat in church for years and choose to do the thing that pleases the flesh rather than do the thing that pleases God. And you know as well as I do, there's, many, there's much of that that happens in the church today. What a joy it is to see when a life has changed. What a heartache it is when you see someone turn their back on God and everything they've been taught. And I'm no expert I don't know everything there is to know about anything. But after nearly 28 years of ministry, I do know this. Those that fall away from God, and hear me, church, those that fall away from God, those that walk away from him and choose to do their own thing are those, are, are those that were lax in the daily disciplines of the faith. Christians who are lazy in practicing the disciplines of the faith will become the same Christians that fall away from the faith. I don't know how I can say it any clearer. You have to practice the disciplines in order to become strong. 
1 Timothy 4, one through two says this. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Some will depart from the faith. How do you depart from the faith? You have to have faith before you depart from it. He's not talking about the lost there. He's talking about the Christians who sit in church week after week who perceive to be strong in their own eyes and perceive and put that projection out there to everybody else. Man, I'm a really good Christian. But deep down inside, they're not practicing the disciplines of the faith and they might be the ones that fall flat on their face in latter times. Folks, maybe, maybe God has prompted me to preach this message because I do think we're getting closer and closer and closer to the end of this age. Well, that's an easy thing to say. It is. Look at the news. We're, we're closer to Jesus' return right now. Now we're closer than when I just clapped my hands before. Now we're closer again. I mean, we're running towards this end of the age thing, and I think sometimes the church forgets that it's all real. Everything laid out in scripture regarding the end times is real. I mean, are you kidding me? We have countries like Iran and China and Russia doing military training together and we don't think that's a part of what's in the Bible regarding the end times? That what's, what's going on with Israel? Watch Israel. I mean, watch what's going on. Folks, it's like the Bible is, you can read it in the newspaper almost. It's unfolding right before our eyes. And there are gonna be some in these last days, some of those Christians that sit in church week after week who are good, good people, good Christians in their own eyes and everybody thinks they are. But because they didn't practice the disciplines of the faith, faith they're not gonna make it, make it when the going gets rough. They'll give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. They'll speak lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The deception is going to increase, church. And there will be those that leave the faith. They will fall away from God. And you can see it even now. People want that good message, right? That one that makes them feel nice. Many want what their tickling ears want to hear. So many want the benefits of salvation, yet they don't want any part of the responsibilities that go with it. The hyper grace message is being latched onto. Do whatever you want. Jesus died for you, it doesn't matter. You're forgiven, right? People just wanna be happy and be told that they're gonna be okay no matter what. That's what they wanna hear. And don't get me wrong, I believe in grace, the, the, the grace of God. I'm a, I'm a product of the grace of God. And even though his grace is a free gift, and if you don't understand this, don't, don't, don't get mad at me, just talk to me later. But even though his grace is a free gift, when you understand his grace, it'll cost you everything. It's true because when you accept and understand his grace, you are prompted to become true clay in the, in the potter's hands. And he begins to mold you and shape you and smooth out all of your rough edges. I mean, has God ever smoothed out anybody's rough edge in here before? Is that, is that like an enjoyable thing? It's a little painful. And we've all had that happen. Practicing the disciplines of the faith keeps you sharp. It strengthens your spiritual foundation. So what are these disciplines? Well, I'm really glad you asked that. I'm just going to give you one per week for the next several weeks, and today it's the discipline of prayer. 
Living a life of prayer is a non-negotiable when it comes to growing in your Christian faith. It's non-negotiable. You cannot be a Christian and, and uh, not pray. You can't be a Christian without prayer. I struggled with how to preach this part of the sermon. I, I, just to be honest, I've preached so many sermons on prayer the how-to-pray sermons, the, the why-you-should-pray sermons, the, the power-of-prayer sermons. And I can go back over my folders of sermons past and, and find a whole bunch of sermons on prayer that I've preached, even from this pulpit. But I struggled in doing this part of the sermon. And the struggle was how in the world is, as a pastor... Can I get you to live a life of prayer? And, and maybe, maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I'm sure it is. And here, here's, here's the answer. I absolutely can't get you to live a life of prayer. I can't preach good enough. I can't preach convincing enough. I can't have a great illustration. It's not going to do it. Because at the end of the day, you've got to want to pray. And if you don't, you won't. You have to see the need and believe it's important. Because no matter the statistics I give you, and again, illustrations, or no matter what I share, you won't do it unless you want to. And it's really that simple. Show me a believer who has no prayer life, and I will show you a believer that is spiritually weak, spiritually powerless, and probably won't be a believer for very long. And that may sound harsh, but show me any healthy relationship, any healthy, wonderful relationship that exists, that also exhibits poor communication, and you won't be able to. Communication Poor communication always leads to poor relationships. Good communication leads to good relationships. And the reason poor communication leads to poor relationships is that it gives too much room for vain imaginations when there's poor communication. The more communication you have with your spouse, the less likely you will have uh, trust issues with them. Open communication is key to shutting down those uh, imagined offenses. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say imagined offenses? The more communication you have with God, the less the devil can fill your head with those vain imaginations. And think about it. There is so many in the church that are consistently offended about everything, even the littlest things today. And could it be that those vain imaginations are the result of poor communication with God? Their mind is not filled with, with, with what they've talked about with God that day, that it leaves it wide open for the devil to come in there and tell him anything he wants to. You know, and that's what prayer is in its most basic, basic thing. It's just communication with God. It involves spending time in his presence, talking and listening to him. End of story. 
We can get into how the, and there's good ways to pray, better ways to pray, right ways to pray, right words to say, blah, blah. There's all that teaching out there. And I'm not saying that's bad stuff. You, sh- you can get into that. But I think what happens is we have so many how-to sermons on how to pray that it's left the church feeling like they don't know how to pray, so they just don't. I mean, get your heart wide open and talk to God. Boom, that's prayer. That's good. It's all you need. Share your heart with them. Share what you're feeling. Share what you're going through. Throw all, cast all of your cares and burdens upon him in a conversation. He is smart enough and big enough and intelligent enough to handle your wrong praying if you pray wrong, if that's possible. You know what I'm saying? Just pray. It's about having that relationship with him. And prayer is one of our core values in this church, and that means we put a high priority on it. We have prayer meetings on Tuesday mornings and Thursday mornings, and we have prayer meetings Wednesday night. Every, we have classes Wednesday night, but if you're not a part of a class, go to the prayer meeting. And right now we have some beginning the year opportunities uh, to pray on top of our regular prayer meetings. We have uh, every morning, and, and Pastor Jared talked about it, every morning starting tomorrow and going through Saturday, we'll be opening the prayer room at 6 a.m., I'll be here tomorrow at 6 a.m., 7 p.m. Pastor Bryce will be here to have some corporate prayer to start the year off right. And don't get me wrong, we do this to help you in your prayer life, but that's not what I'm really talking about today when I'm talking about prayer. The program of prayer is vital to keep the importance of prayer before us. And we have programs in the church of prayer, but the attitude of prayer The life of prayer is what I want to talk to you about today and I want you to uh, get a hold of today. I almost hurt for you to get a hold of it. Because there's such freedom, there's such victory, and there's such power when you live a life of prayer. Living in that place where prayer is... It's more than a time period that you notch out of your daily calendar. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I highly encourage you to do that. But to again, live in that place where prayer is consistently flowing forth from your spirit unto the Lord, that's when your prayers will be like sweet incense unto him. One of the shortest Bible verses there, there is is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, and it says this, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. And that's impossible to do, right? I mean, how can you pray without ceasing? There's lots of things we have to do in this life that would interrupt our praying without ceasing, right? But here's the secret in under, to understanding this verse. When you have the attitude of prayer, when you are living a life of prayer, that's all you will do all day long. You will Find yourself talking to God like he's right there. And you'll do this even when there's others around. And even uh, uh, while you're talking to them, that attitude of prayer comes out. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you're, you're, you just, they talk back and then you just start saying, praise God, hallelujah, that's awesome. You know, when you do that, when you say praise God to, in response to somebody else's uh, uh, words, that you're giving God praise, which, which is, is communication with God, and it's a form of prayer. When you're saying hallelujah, that, that's, that, that's that always being in that attitude of prayer. It's like you're in his presence, you're in a conversation with him that never stops. 
And even when you talk to your spouse or your kids or your coworkers, that conversation is still going on right here, right next to you. And you just bring it wherever you go. That's praying without ceasing. That's when someone's telling you about their problems, their circumstances, their situations, wherever you might be. And how many know it doesn't take very long to find somebody to tell you your, their problems. You just listen a little bit and people tell you all sorts of problems. But that's your invitation. If you're walking in a life of prayer, that prayer conversation is still going on inside of you and it's with you. And then you just bring that person into it. You say, well, let me pray for you because I'm in prayer all the time. It's a prayer life, not just a time you notch out of your schedule, even though you need to do that and that's good. It's just not what I'm talking about today. That prayer life. Praying under the breath all the time, keeping him involved in every part of your day. You know, most prayer that goes up in the church is saturated with requests and petitions. Prayer has been reduced to, well, I've got my prayer list and now I will pray for everything I need and that's my prayer time. But I'm talking about taking it further than that. Not if you understand what I'm saying this morning. It's not just a list. That's part of it, but don't stop there. It's a time to become intimate with God, to listen to what he's speaking to your heart, to share the, the, the deepest, darkest feelings and emotions that you have with him. It's finding that place in the secret place that you can get alone with him and just be with him. He just wants to sit and converse with us. He wants us to enjoy his presence. You know, one day while uh, D.L. Moody was busy writing, his five-year-old son entered his study and uh, his son didn't make a sound, didn't disturb his father in any way at all, and he was just sitting in there and after a while, Moody looked up from his studies, up from his desk, and he said, uh, well, uh, what do you want? And his son said, nothing, Daddy. I just want to be where you are. Living a life of prayer is being that five-year-old that just wants to be where their daddy's at, just to be in his presence, just to bask in it, never wanting it to end, even to the point of losing track of time. You ever lost track of time in prayer? How many have ever been late to anything because you've lost track of time in, for any reason? Maybe you were watching a movie, maybe you were doing something else, but have you ever lost track of time because you were praying and it's like the hours flew by? It's a phenomenal thing to experience. You're going to hear me say this throughout the series, but when we practice the disciplines of the faith, we literally are building up a reserve that we can draw from when crises occur. I want you to understand how important this is. Because as pastor, I do see people, little things sometimes wipe people out. Big things sometimes don't even rock somebody. And it's amazing to see. And I'm not picking on anybody saying, well, your, your Christianity is not very good if a little thing takes you out. I'm just trying to teach you something today that's really important. If you practice the disciplines of the faith, you build, you invest in this reservoir. And then when stuff happens, and how many know stuff is always gonna happen? It gives you a reservoir to draw from because you've, make, you've been making deposits way before it ever happened. You know what most people do in life? They have a crisis comes up and they're like, whoa, 911 prayer, here we go. And 
understand, you can have 911 prayers with, with a reservoir, but if you got that reservoir there, it's like it's just automatic. There's power in having that reservoir built up that you've invested in. That's what the disciplines of the faith do. Prayer's no different. The discipline of prayer, living a life of prayer is no exception. If you live a life of unceasing prayer, it's like digging a deep well that doesn't go dry during the droughts of life. Walking in that attitude of prayer is like building a solid shelter when the storms of life come. You are protected from that storm taking you out. It just can't. Church, hear my heart today. God has given us everything we need. He's made a way that we can have a constant direct access with him. Hallelujah. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, that 60 some foot high, six inch thick veil that one that hung in the temple over the holy holies, which was where God's presence was, right? That veil, when Jesus died, the moment he died on the cross, that veil ripped from top to bottom, six inches thick, 60 some feet high. It's an amazing thing to think about. And it revealed that holy of holies. It was a statement from God that Jesus' death paid the price, now we have unlimited access to the presence of God. I mean, the Bible is God's letter to us. Prayer is our letter back to him. And we need to take advantage of that gift that he's given us, access to his presence, to pray, to live in that prayer life. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, now that we know what we have, Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God. That's what we have in Jesus, right? Ready access to God. Let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Live the life of prayer. And I, 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 can, speak, I, I, I can speak from experience here. The, the devil will do everything he possibly can to keep you from walking in that prayer life. It's his greatest concern. I, let's just expose the enemy for a second here. His greatest concern. He's got to keep you from praying because he knows that if the church starts praying, it's all over for him. The devil doesn't Fear prayerless churches, by the way. He laughs at them. I think he attends them. They're no threat to him. Their programs, no matter how good, their music, no matter how talented and professional, if there is no prayer, if there is no prayer, he mocks them and scoffs at them and all their human wisdom. But understand this, when the church starts praying, all of hell trembles. Folks, it's something that we have that we need to walk in and use and let it become a part of everything in our life. It's the discipline of faith, one of the disciplines of faith. It's the discipline of prayer. You guys like poems? We mutter and sputter. We fume and we spurt. We mumble and grumble, our feelings get hurt. 
We can't understand things, our vision grows dim, when all that we need is some time spent with him. And church, what are we doing if we're not praying? If we are not individually living that life of prayer, it's all for naught. All the effort, all the heartache, all the struggle, why work or even give money to the work of the church if there's no prayer? Do you think that I receive a salary in this church and the staff receives a salary in this church so that we can do your praying for you? Is that what we do as Americans? We pay others to take up our responsibilities so we don't have to do it? Everybody's getting cold. I think that happens. I don't think people consciously say, well, I pay him to pray, so I don't have to. I don't think people say that. But they live like they believe that. Remember what ticked Jesus off? Ticked him off enough to, I mean, to the point of throwing tables. It wasn't about them selling things in the temple, and that's kind of where we always hang our hat. Oh, you shouldn't sell stuff in the church, right? Shouldn't bring Mary Kay and candy bars and discount cards and all this stuff that we, we sell. And I'm not saying that's bad stuff, but you don't bring it into the church, right? We don't do that. I've, I've heard people talk about that. Let's not do that. I, I agree. But that's not really what ticked Jesus off when he threw tables. It was about his house, the church. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. It was, I think it was more about their lack of prayer than it was of what they were doing. In fact, if they were praying, they wouldn't have been doing what they were doing. What were they robbing God of anyway? That was another question that comes up. You've made my house a den of robbers. Sure, they were maybe overcharging people or something like that. I've heard all sorts of things. Uh, you know, they had to sell little doves and all this different stuff they were doing for sacrificial or sacrifices and all that stuff. And yeah, they were taking advantage maybe and all that. You made it a den of robbers. Is that what he was talking about? I don't even think that was what he was talking about. I think he made, he called the, you've made it a den of robbers because it's a church full of robbers. What did they rob people of? What did they rob anybody of? And I think they robbed God of relationship. Because prayerlessness means you have no relationship with God. Don't believe me? Try not talking to your spouse for two weeks and see if she has the same relationship with you as she did two weeks previous. Or husband. Or kids. You won't have a relationship without communication. There's a relationship that only comes through constant prayer and communication with Christ and it's worth fighting for. It's worth walking in discipline for. You know, social media is such a subject to, of today. And I mean, what in the world would we do if we didn't know what was going on? What would we do if we couldn't text our friends at any waking moment or message them? What would we do if we couldn't contact them whenever we wanted our, our parents or our kids or our friends or our family. When all my girls were at home, uh, I paid for their cell phones 
And there was many times when I called them and they didn't answer, my grumbling uh, words were, why in the heck do I pay, a self, pay for the cell phone bill when they don't even answer it? How many have ever said that before? <laughs> You're like, what? And I'd get upset. Is there any junior high girls in here? Kendra, do you have a phone? Do you have it on you? Can I have it? Why not? Just for a little while? Just for a little while? Is this hard for me to take this from you? Yeah, it is. Don't worry, next Sunday, if you sit right there, I'll give it back. <laughs> Is that all right? I promise I'll give it back to you next Sunday, okay? Are you okay with that, Dad? Where's Dad at? Oh, you're on the foyer? Well, is that okay, Auntie? All right, Uncle? Is that right? You're all right. I want you to understand something. I want you to understand this. People feel anxiety when we take their ability to communicate with their friends and family, their phones, their social media. They start to feel anxiety when we take it away from them. Where's the anxiety in the church over prayerlessness? Because if you could take away the church's ability to talk to God, if you could do it, what would, what would really change in, in many lives? Probably not too much. Because they don't do it anyway. Just be the same old, same old. See, we have the ability and the access. And it can't be taken away. But we don't take advantage of it. Church, we need to be in prayer for the prodigal sons and the daughters that are represented by some of you here at church today. We should all be in prayer for that. We need to be in prayer for the marriages in and outside this church. Do you know how marriages are being attacked all over? And I'll throw this out. Marriages are being attacked in this church. Just gone through a season of a lot of attacked marriages. Church, we need to pray that whatever spirit's doing that, that we shut it down in the name of Jesus. That it is done and its lying words are no longer heard by anybody. We need to be in prayer for those that don't know Jesus. We need to be in prayer about everything going on politically in this nation and the world events that are happening every day. Again, signs of the times. My goodness, there's not enough time in a day to pray over all the needs that we need to be praying over. Sometimes maybe that's it. There's so many things to pray for, I don't even pray. Well, that's no answer. Today, church, I... I want to be the mouthpiece of God in a sense. I don't say that with arrogance by any means. I think if he was here physically, I think he'd say this. Please pray. Spend some time with me. The burden of heaviness, as I said, that I experienced preparing this message has been unusually great and it's not about methodologies or programs of prayer. It's about intimacy with him. I think that's why the burden was so great. How do you get people again to want to be intimate with God? I can't. You gotta want it. 
You gotta want time spent loving him and letting him love on you. It's getting into that secret place again with him and finding rest and wholeness, security and healing, deliverance and peace, joy, and at times experiencing the anguish of our petitions. You know, Jesus prayed a lot. How much more do you need to pray? And I'm gonna give your phone back right now. And because you were such a good girl, I want you to stop by the office. I have a $50 gift certificate for you, so come up here. Yeah. yeah. You want me to take yours too, Bobby? Yeah. God wants to have that relationship with you. Don't deny him of it. Don't deprive him of it. Bask in his presence. Learn to love to be there. You'll be a nicer person if you do. You have an anger problem, you need to spend more time with Jesus. You have a problem gossiping too much, you need to spend more time with Jesus. You have a problem with addiction, spend more time with Jesus. You Really, anything I could say that represents sin or something we need to change in our life, you could say spend more time with Jesus and it would literally fix it. Spend more time with Jesus. Let him speak to you, you speak to him. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.